from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I am Chip Lutz, your host today, and I'm going to tell you what, today is a banner day. It's a banner day for me because, one, I'm alive, I'm breathing, life is good, but I also get to talk to my very good friend, Karen Buxman, uh, CSP, CPAE, uh, MSN, LMNOP, and here's... Here, here's the cool thing about Karen is that um, when I first joined the Association of Applied Therapeutic Humor, um, it was down in my first conference was in Panama City Beach, and they had like lunch with the pros. You could talk to a humor professional, and so um, I signed up very dutifully, uh, dutiful, anyway, right away <laughs> to uh, eat lunch with, uh, with Karen because, you know, she was, you know, somebody that I wanted to know in the humor world. Somebody that you know I respected and um, yeah, knew her stuff, and I got to eat lunch with her, hear her be very, very um, deep on different things humor related. But over the course of the last decade, and yes, it's been a decade, we've got to be good friends. You know, we're both uh, we're both Leos. We're both born in the year of the monkey. Um, we both uh, suffer from a little bit of ADD, but. Uh, Having uh, served, you know, with her, you know, on the associate in the association on the board, I will tell you straight, straight out, there's nobody that is more graceful as a leader than Karen Buxman. That you know, in in my life as a leader, you know, I've done a lot, I've 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 led a lot of people, but I have never experienced grace in leading like I have with Karen. So, welcome, my friends. Wow. To wow. Laughbox. Wow, this is just like the Mutual Admiration Society, so I mean, how much fun could we have in this? And the rest of you folks can listen in, but really, this is about me and Chip. <laughs> <laughs> just about us Leo monkeys. Just about us Leo monkeys. Woo! So, I know, I know you pretty well, but I, you know, maybe some of the people listening don't know you all that well. So, my friend, let everybody know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what's your bag? What's my bag? My humor bag. Um, if one of the, the letter designations that I have that, that you um, may or may not know, but it's CHP, which is Certified Humor Professional, which is like really cool because this um, is the result of the three-year, what I call it an immersion program with AATH. And uh, it's, it's really, it's a deep dive for people who want to know more about the experience and the theory and the application and leadership of humor. So I love that. So, um, so I'm a CHP, I'm a speaker, author, neurohumorist, and I know the folks on, the, on this are going, oh God, another neurohumorist, it's like one after another. Okay, <laughs> I, this is not something I hear every day, but we can come back to that. Yeah, so I mean, I love the intersection of humor and the brain, and so we're going to come back to that later. Um, and I live in sunny San Diego, and it's not heaven, but we share the same zip code. Love it, love it, love it here. And, you know, that's all. If people really don't want to know about me, they want to know, what's in this for me? What's in this for me, baby? So what, what about them, Chip? What about them? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> no, it's funny you were talking, you said that I didn't realize that uh, San Diego had the same zip code as heaven. Yeah. It's something new for me, opposed to Cal opposed to Florida, which is just heaven's waiting room. There you go. Purgatory. 
I had never heard that before until uh, not too long ago. Somebody was like, uh, oh, I'm going to Florida. I'm like, oh, you're going to Heaven's Waiting Room. And I just like, I died laughing. It was so hilarious to me because I live in Wisconsin, which is um, as a, where I live is, has the same zip code as um, hell, except it's not that cold there. Anyway, that's just me. Anyway. So with um, being a neurohumorist, what, what, what is that? What is a neurohumorist? Uh, it's someone who lives and breathes and studies the intersection of humor and the brain. Because really, what I've come to realize, because humor is so powerful, um, whether we're talking at you know, a global level, whether we're talking at a community level, whether we're talking at a personal level, um, whether we're talking at a cellular level, now the science shows even beyond the cellular level, um, you know, it's it, it, in terms of epigenetics and the effects that humor is having at the gene expression level, all of these things really fall under the control center of the brain and how does it affect all the things that we do. So, yeah, that's just... Uh, that's something that intrigues me and that I love sharing with people and the applications, as you know, I mean, the applications for people, their physical applications, psychological applications, social applications, every, every single area of our life, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's too good to be true, which I think is really one of the things that's so, why it's so hard for us to maybe get to a higher level of, of people really taking humor seriously, which again, that's another um, kind of is that a paradox oxymoron something like that the other thing though I realized the other day was I, I saw this uh, I saw this little poster that said you know if if something moves and it shouldn't you need duct tape and if it doesn't move and it should get WD-40 I was like those are the only two things you need and I realized well those two things are humor because humor is like duct tape because it binds everything and brings everything close together. At the same time, it's a lubricant as well. And so, I mean, you know, what else do you need? Those are the two tools and they serve you pretty much in everything, but it all comes back to the brain. I like that. Well, you know, I like that humor is both duct tape and uh, WD-40. Those are both great analogies on uh, what it can do. I mean, for me, you know, humor has always just been a way of living my life. You know, I'm, you know, we'll make no, <laughs> no excuses. I'm not the sh sharpest tool in the shed um, or the sharpest tool in the box, but um, you know, the ability to laugh at certain things has certainly always given me an edge up on, you know, other people that take things a little too seriously. So, you know, thinking about that whole, you know, neuro thing that goes on. Cause you use a lot of big words that, you know, I'm, I'm here Googling as we're talking. But, um, <laughs> What, you know, what are some things that happen, you know, you know, like humor in the brain? I mean, I like it that, you know, you didn't say this, but to me, you kind of alluded to it on that, you know, humor, the new wonder drug that, you know, it's been around forever, but we're just reading now. We're just now, you know, you know, um, re, um, what's the word? <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, refinding it. Yeah. yeah, rediscovering. <laughs> rediscovering. That's what I was looking for. Thank rediscovering. <laughs> it's like, um, well, you know, like aspirin. I mean, aspirin was around forever. And then all of a sudden they realized all these wonderful properties that aspirin had, including how great it was for the heart. Mm -hmm. And so then they rebranded themselves. And now it's like, oh, every day you should take a little bit of aspirin, not because 
you got a headache, but because it's going to help you from suffering from heart disease or heart attacks and all that jazz. And, you know, humor's been around forever, but I think in, in the Western world anyway, we are so much of the mindset of, you know what, that sounds nice, but come back to me when you got the research. Come back to me when you got the data. And I, you know, years ago when uh, Steve Wilson and I were traveling with Madan Kataria, when we were introducing this whole concept of, of laughter yoga and humor and laughter for no reason, he made some kind of comment about, you know, in, in the Western world, you guys wait until you have proof and then you do it. Whereas in the Eastern world, we do it. And if later proof comes up, gee, that's nice. You know, but it's like they don't wait for the proof. But here, everybody's got to have the proof. So, um, you know, back in, I believe it was 1997, maybe 98, but 97, I think, you know, Peter Jerks and his team, uh, they looked at the brain when people were experiencing a joke. And they used uh, EEG and put that on people's heads and they looked at all the different kinds of brain waves and stuff. And what they discovered was that humor was a whole brain activity. Every part of the brain, you know, was firing. It's like, okay, well, here's the joke that I'm trying to understand. And here's another part of the brain where I'm analyzing it. And here's the feeling of humor and then there's the occipital part of the brain when you're actually expressing the laughter and they found out that that it was a whole brain activity and that was pretty cool then let's flash forward to just two years ago lee burke and his team they look at people experiencing humor um, while they're also now dolled up with eeg monitors but the difference is now that when dirks and his team were doing this experiment it was with digital I mean, with analog, but now our equipment is digital, and what that meant was that we have we can have a, a better view, a closer view of all the different brain waves. And, and the other really cool thing was that what they used to think was background or white noise or interference, what they realized now with the uh, digital equipment was that humor was the brain was generating gamma waves across the entire brain. And we didn't really know anything about gamma waves. Gamma waves is something that really we're just now, because of our technology, better able to understand. And the brain waves, the gamma waves that were generated by the brain in Burke's study, these are the same kinds of wave patterns that we see in people who practice deep meditation for extended period of time or deep mindfulness. And so it's really cool. And people go, well, yeah, that's nice. So what? Well, so are you somebody who would like to experience greater clarity? Would you like to have greater focus? Would you like to have more creativity? Would you like to be in the zone? You know, all of these kinds of things um, that people want to experience. And, you know, I, I dabble in meditation, but really quite frankly, I just haven't, carved out the time on a daily basis to do it <laughs> you're like me you go you, you go to meditate and you're like uh man i know i should be meditating but i'm really thinking about this no i'm thinking about yeah. no i'm thinking about this <laughs> and now i'm thinking about the fact that i'm not meditating you know and it's like ah! 
And so for me, I'm not really experiencing those gamma waves, but what, you know, but now we can show people how they could be tapping into that. And of course, my big thing and your big thing, the people that, who are involved in the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor is, you know, this stuff is so good, you don't want it to happen just by chance, you want it to happen by choice. How can we increase the greater likelihood that we would have more of those experiences? You know, and you know, and that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, other kinds of things are happening that you and I can talk about in terms of, you know, like what happens in the brain and and the entire body when somebody, you know, somebody for instance who is dealing with an illness that maybe is something that involves the inflammatory process. You know, whether it's cancer, whether it's an autoimmune disease, whether it's arthritis. I mean, there's just it, it, all sorts of things. And then one of the really cool things about humor that when people are experiencing this, particularly the longer they practice it, the, the more of the benefits they get. But everybody's now becoming um, familiar with the phrase or the word cortisol. You know, cortisol is kind of become the boogeyman and, and rightfully so. I mean, really high levels of cortisol over extended period of time, we find now are fanning the flames of all different kinds of diseases you know, everything from, you know, depression and effects of stress, you know, inflammation in the body, heart disease, diabetes, dementia, all these, all these crazy things. And one of the things, nice things about humor is that it lowers the levels of cortisol. And so people who are experiencing different kinds of disease processes, what if they could proactively be practicing humor and experience the lowering of the cortisol so that they don't have something generating in their body that's going to increase the problems that they have with health either now or later on. And that's wow. no joke. Well, when you say like gamma waves, I automatically start thinking about the incredible Hulk. Um, you know, <laughs> that's what I see. You know, that's where my head goes. It's like, Oh, you know, you wouldn't like, well, but it would be opposite. Instead of turning the Hulk, you know, you might turn into just like the humor bulk and then it would be like, <laughs> it would be like you wouldn't like me when I'm funny, you know, like, you yeah, just, yeah. You just turn there, don't get me, don't make me laugh. You won't like me when I'm funny. <laughs> do make me laugh. <laughs> yeah. That's see, that's what all those little, little cortisol cells are saying. Don't make any laugh. Don't make him laugh. We'll go away. We'll go away. <laughs> and then instead of turning big and green, you turn into a giant clown. Oh, now some people are afraid of clowns. We don't want to go there. I've never, you know, and nothing. We have, you know, we both know some, you know, people that are clowns. I just, I've never been a clown fan. Uh, that's my disclaimer. Um, we, in no way, shape, or form, discredit or endorse clowning. I'm just saying that, just as a personal thing, never been, never been a clown that fan. Clown, eh? That would be a great show, though. Undercover clown, like undercover boss, only better, only, Ooh. only better. So, you know, I know that, um, and we'll, you know, try to circle back around and get to some things people can do, especially the people that are going through things. I feel sorry for these listeners because you and I, neither one are linear. <laughs> these folks are probably going, what? It's just a conversation, you know. Yeah, uh, and I think that's you know for me for the podcast I listen to I just like listen to people I like listening to conversations and yeah, you know, yeah. one one of the things I like to hear is I like to hear you know people's stories I mean you know for you you know obviously for somebody to get involved with humor as deep as you know you are it's got to mean something personally to you 
that, you know, that for you, there's been some kind of personal connection that drew you to the field and you know, made you want to delve a little bit deeper. I mean, you know, can you share a little bit about maybe, you know, what drew you to it that, you know, yeah. it's made it so personal? Well, and, and I don't know if I really ought to confess this because I've actually been given this a lot of thought lately. Um, and I started my research back in the late eighties and quite frankly, the, um, University of Missouri, which I love. I love those folks and I love my alma mater. But I was being steered in the direction of looking and researching the locus of control of eating disorders of adolescent children, which wasn't really excited about. But it was something that was going to, you know, you could wrap your head around and your hands around and you could research that. But I stumbled across just this little paragraph in the back of a, a, a journal. And it was a paragraph about Vera Robinson and her research in her dissertation um, on the population of Native American Indians. And I was like, say what? You know, somebody can study humor? And at first, I will admit, I will admit, because I was much younger then, it was like, oh, I could do research and it could be fun. Um, and very quickly, once I convinced my advisors to let me study this, because at first, and rightfully so, they were like, you know, this is, you know, I'm not sure that this is really a research project and, you know, it's kind of vague and it doesn't really sound this, but I was so passionate about it. I was like, no, really. And so when I came back to them, they said, okay, you know, go, 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 go for it. And, and at first I thought this would be fun. And then I realized it's like what E.B. White says, uh, his quote that says, humor can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process and the innards are only interested to pure scientists. I was like, oh my God, we beat the fun right out of that project. But fortunately, the, the benefits that I was seeing and recognizing in the research and then started awakening to in my personal life, I became obsessed with this. And I just became so obsessed that I quit my real job and I decided I'm going to take this message out to the world. And I was very, very much in the academic mindset back then. Um, until I gave my very first academic presentation and I was all prepared to tell my audience about the p-value of less than 0.05 and I discovered people thought I was funny. <laughs> it was like, oh no. And so, uh, and so you know, I, I started out on this voyage of entertainment and the message of applied humor. And quite frankly, a lot of people kept wanting to pull me into just the entertainment piece. But that's never been the part that feeds me because I started recognizing um, through just a myriad of experiences. Once you have this lens and this awareness, you start seeing, oh, it's working there. Oh, this is how it works here. I, you know, I saw it with my son who was going through uh, a, a mysterious illness that earned him a 15-minute shot, shot on the news uh, show. Uh, CBS show 48 hours. He was a medical mystery. I had another son who experienced cancer, a mother with Alzheimer's, all of these people who were utilizing humor and it might've made them feel better. It might've helped them. It might've actually affected the quantity of their days. We, we won't ever know for sure, but it certainly affected the quality of their days. And the more they did it, the, the better, they, they felt and the better their lives went. And I know just for me personally, it was I started intentionally putting this into my life. Um, it just, it was, it was a game changer. Everything um, became not just more fun, but just energy wise and, and how you feel and the people that you attract. 
I mean, good grief. I mean, look at, look at the people in our circle that we get to call colleagues and the, the folks that we get to speak to and the folks that we get to, to, to be with. The, the fact that this topic is, is fun, but at the same time, so fracking powerful. Um, I just, as much as I could probably do other things in my life that would be more financially um, productive, it's like, I, no, this is my calling in life. I've got to get the word out. This is just how powerful this is. It's a game changer. It's a life changer. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, and I agree that, um, you know, for me, you know, we have got a little video thing. For those of you listening, I can actually see Karen. She can see me. She's got a little relax cup. I was going to have my coffee cup that says, you know, coffee makes me poop, but I decided not to use that one today. Although it is my favorite cup and actually uh, quite a bit of truth in it. Anyway. Um, anyway. I digress. Uh, well, we'll so keep bringing you back. With uh, – and, you know, adding humor to your life. I mean, for me, um, I, I've got stuff that I do that um, is funny. I, I, that I just, you know, I find humor in or like we were talking about earlier, I, I make myself laugh. I don't need anybody else. I got my own playgrounds in my head, you know. So a lot of times, you know, people, you know, we were sharing earlier, Karen and I, that uh, I'll say something to my wife and she'll be like, you know, that's really not funny. I'll be like, oh, no. It is funny. I mean, you just don't live inside here. You don't live inside my head. I got a whole circus in there of uh, different things that I think are hilarious. But what do you do to um, intentionally bring humor into your life? You know, yeah, the- I'm, I'm going to circle back around a little bit because yeah, I was thinking about this while you were talking because, you know, you and I tend to be funny, or at least we think we're funny. Sometimes <laughs> we think we're hilarious. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I, I think I, yeah, I'm, I'm hilarious to myself. Oh my God. But, um, you know, but there's a lot of folks that may be listening to this going, Oh, but this, you know, so what am I going to do? Cause I'm not funny. Um, and, and so whenever somebody tells me that they're like, Oh, but you know, I don't know if this will work for me cause I'm not funny. I would say, great, great. Cause you don't have to be funny. And I actually asked my mom once because it's, it's funny. I've been doing this, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. And somebody, you know, people line up afterwards. And they always ask you questions. want to shake your hand and blah, blah, blah. And this guy goes, um, were you always this funny? And I, I, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I was. But then I, I went home and I, I was chatting with my mom and I, so I said, hey, mom, was I always this funny? And she paused and was real thoughtful. And then she looked at me and she goes, mm, no. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, well, you were always the one with the sunny disposition. But here's what I realized after that. And, th- and this is so true. When I was doing my research, I started giving myself more permission to try humor. I was willing to fail. And I just started using it more and more. And I started seeing, fun. and the more I did it, the easier it became. And I tell people, if they practice experiencing humor or encouraging others to use humor or, you know, instead of being funny, seeing funny, I think that eventually the be funny falls into place if that's important to you. If it's not important to you, you never have to say anything funny yourself. You can still experience humor. And so that's kind of coming full circle to how do I, um, you know, how do I intentionally use humor? Because for me, it's not about ever saying anything or even doing anything funny. 
I, have, I create my environment every day with how can I increase the likelihood of experiencing humor. So I think probably the best thing to ever happen to the application of humor is the smartphone. It's so sad when you're blonde and your phone's smarter than you. But on my phone, I have eBooks. I mean, I, uh, audio books. I love, love, love David Sedaris. I think he is hysterical. He's not for everybody, but I love David Sedaris. And so I have uh, the CD of David Sedaris live at Carnegie Hall, which I think everybody should own. I don't get any, any money for that. But um, David Sedaris live at Carnegie Hall has just has been a game changer for me so many times and I can just tap into it because it's on my phone. Um, I have websites, I have um, memes, I have all these things that I can tap into because that's part of my environment. But, um, and I have humor buddies. Um, I, I, and, but I make a commitment that every single day I'm gonna experience humor for the goal is 30, but no less than 15. And so we have things TiVo'd. Um, I mean, I know every episode of Big Bang Theory by memory. I can just do the whole dialogue all by myself. I don't need a cast, but it just still cracks me up. And so what are the things that would crack you up that you could put within your environment that's easy access? And you know, in terms of, of coping, you and I travel full time and we're always on airplanes. I remember one time we're pulling away from the gate and there's, it's raining and it's storming and, and we were late pulling away in the first place and everybody's just cranky. And then as we're on the tarmac, the pilot's like, you know, okay, they've said that we have to sit here on the tarmac for another hour, but you know, we can't pull back up to the gate. So you just have to sit tight. And people were bitching and moaning and crabbing and and I pulled out my phone and I turned on David Sedaris and the lights are dimmed in the cabin because it's nighttime but um, I started laughing and I started laughing so hard that I started I mean tears are running down my face and the flight attendant walks by and she sees tears running down my face she thinks I'm crying and so she leans over she starts trying to console me which just strikes me as so funny that I can't stop laughing. I am, these people think I need to be locked up, but rather than everybody else whose cortisol was like flying through every cell of their body, I had adjusted my environment so that I didn't have to react. I don't have to be reactive. I can be proactive. Wow. That was a long spout. What do you think about that? No, that was good. I'm all for creating your own environment like that. You know, for me, you know, Dave Sedaris for you. It's Will Ferrell for me. So uh, anything watching, anything with Will Ferrell, you know, is the thing that, um, you know, pulls me out of my funk. I have some other stuff that, you know, um, is in my personal bag here a couple of years ago. I, uh, every day I would post a joke on Facebook and, you know, everybody in my, in my, you know, uh, people was like, Oh, I love your joke of the day, but they didn't realize that I wasn't really doing it for them. Yeah, I was, I was doing it for me. I was yeah. doing it every day because, you know, it was a, it was a trying time, you know, business wise. And, you know, I was like, you know, thinking about things. It's like, you know, I need to start my day with something positive. So, you know, I'd go through like, you know, I have all these different joke books I'd go through and it had to, you know, fit different parameters. Like I had to fit, you know, so you didn't have to click read more on Facebook because I'm a lazy reader. So I wouldn't want to read <laughs> anymore. So it's like, it had to fit in there. It had to be, it had to, be, it had to make me laugh, you know? So it was like, I like puns play on words. So if it play, you know, was on that, it was good. Um, you know, 
I couldn't be really in bad taste because uh, although I've got a sordid sense of humor, um, oh my. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to uh, offend anybody, but um, you know, for me, it was just it. It, it was. It, that's what worked for me. You know, during that during that you know dry spell. You know that I was going through, and every day it was like. And when I stopped doing, it, it's like, hey, what happened to the joke of the day? And I was like, well, I'm in a better mood. I don't need it. <laughs> so, I I love what you're saying because that that is another point that I wanted to bring up. You know, in terms of having. You know, for me, it's a humor buddy. I mean, it doesn't have to be a buddy in particular, but there's uh, one of my besties who you know well, Heidi Hanna. I love this gal. And um, and so I made a commitment to her that every day I would send her something fun or something funny. And um, when I initially made that commitment, it was all about her. It's all about you, Heidi, if you're listening. Um, Disregard what I'm about to say. But what I really realized after... You know, doing it for a little bit was that my brain's getting a dota, a, a, a hit of dopamine because like you, I'm doing the research. I'm looking for something. It's like, okay, what's just going to crack her up today? What's going to make, you know, the milk come out her nose or, you know, cause her to choke or something. And so I'm being entertained and by giving her a gift of humor, boom, now I get another hit of dopamine because we, you know, the brain likes to reward and makes us feel good when we do something nice for other people. So giving the gift of humor is something, you know, and having a humor buddy, I think is a cool thing to do. I'm only sad that the people listening can't see, you know, the little <laughs> hand action and facial expression you did. For those of it, you know, are just listening, you know, she had like this Shirley Temple-esque, you know, thing <laughs> she just did with her hands in the air and it was, it was very adorable. Um, Thank you. <laughs> we gotta go on the road video are you and me i think we should anyway i digress <laughs> i i have a voice for this though um not <laughs> the face for video so anyway hey so I, being a nurse like you are and you know be mil, me me mil, me being military like <laughs> i couldn't get that out i just like there, you know, sometimes, you know, for those of us in, you know, high stress jobs, we might use a little more dark humor, you know, that to help us deal yeah. with stuff. Um, I know that after 9-11, um, you know, we saw a lot of this, you know, with the, you know, you know, police and fire and, and so forth that, you know, the humor was darker. And, you know, I don't think anybody's a better expert on this than, than you, because, you know, having, you know, worked in the trenches like you've worked in, you know, we, with dark humor, and I don't want to say what's that about. I mean, how does that, you know, it, it help us in a way deal with things? Man, I love this topic. And I can speak for hours on this. And you're right. I mean, we love the dark humor. And if you, if you want, I mean, when I speak to nursing audiences, if I want to laugh, I cover body fluids, dismemberment, or death. I mean, it's like those are the three things. And, and the audiences will even say, make it sicker, make it sicker. Um, and I think the reason for this is the, the closer we are to tragedy and death, the darker our humor becomes. And, it, you know, it's like this relief mechanism. And I, I actually um, have done entire programs about this, you know, it's called Humor, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly on, on different kinds of humor that people use to um, help them distance themselves from the horror. And I think that it does many times provide us with that emotional distance. We can't really find something funny until we can 
create that emotional distance from it. And when you're dealing with things that are tragic and when you're dealing with things that are unfair, when you're dealing with things that are horrendous, um, a lot of, I, you can use unhealthy coping mechanisms and Lord knows a lot of people do, you know, drugs and, and alcohol and, and cigarettes and violence and anything, you know, to, to extremes. But what we found is that humor is a healthy coping mechanism. And uh, if, you know, if somebody's using dark humor and you find it offensive, if they're going through something that's been stressful, I encourage people not to dissuade them. You know, you, you certainly have the right to say, wow, you know, too soon or not, you know, that's, that doesn't work for me or, or remove yourself from the situation. Um, but people who are, are dealing, I was just, somebody interviewed me the other day and I just recalled this story. My mom had um, been diagnosed with a, a terminal condition and they thought that she uh, had this really rare kind of blood condition. She had stopped producing red blood cells and they were telling her like, you know, if we can't figure out a way to get your body to produce blood cells again, you got about six weeks. This is right around Thanksgiving. And rather than sit and mope, she decides that she wants to, um, to go Christmas shopping and make sure that everybody has, you know, being a good mother, it's like, I may be dying, but by God, everybody's going to get great Christmas presents. <laughs> And you know, my family is devastated. We go to the Galleria and we're hanging out like we always do. And we walk past this Franklin Covey store and she walks in and she finds these really cool Franklin planners. And she looks at this and she looks at me and, and actually she was meaning this straight. She goes, you know, if I, if I don't die in six weeks, would you get me this planner? And then we both, there was something just so absurd about what she said. We just, started laughing and I mean we it just eased the tension it you know it, it spoke to the unspoken and we just laughed till we cried and a couple days later I told my sister about this and I was like oh man yeah we're joking about this Franklin planner and she looks at me and she goes how dare you you know our mother is dying and and you're cracking jokes and oh she was just so upset with me and now the good news was they found out that this was a rare side effect from a medicine she was on. They took her off the medicine and you know, she, she got through this whole ordeal. But what really struck me was that, you know, my sister, because she was so um, immersed and attached to this, this fear about the death that she didn't have that emotional attachment. And she saw this humor so dark and so sick that she just could not, could not make fun of it. And I mean, and that's a very light version because you know, military and nurses, we, we go much sicker, much darker than that. <laughs> but, yes, we do. Yes, we do. But it, you know, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful, healthy coping mechanism that, that provides us a sense of relief. It helps to ease our depression. It helps ease our anger in a socially acceptable way. And I mean, there's lots of ways that we could dissect why this works, but most people just want to know, oh, it works. Um, and how can I, how can I do this more often? And yeah. I'm not saying that you should, you know, laugh all the time. If somebody's dying, uh, you know, that's you obviously discernment. But <laughs> that would be, that would be so cold. You're just you're like, Oh, you're dying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, you gotta, however, I always instruct people. If you want to see the like best example ever is to, to, Fast forward to the graveyard scene in Steel Magnolias. And if you're listening to this and you've never seen Steel Magnolias, shame on you. 
you know, finish listening to us and then go watch Steel Magnolias from beginning to end. But if you uh, watch it as often as I do, which is about every 28 days, I fast forward <laughs> to the graveyard scene. And I can't imagine anything more tragic than what Sally Fields is going through. I mean, her character, she's crying and beating her chest and she's going, I just, I feel so bad. I just wish I could, I just wish I could hit someone and make them feel as bad as I do. And Olivia Dukakis grabs Shirley MacLaine and says, here, hit Weezer. And I mean, you just go in a nanosecond, you go from sobbing to laughing hysterically. And, and then Truvy says, laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. And I love that because it's really, it's, it's a balance. There's a time to laugh and it's, there's a time to cry. But so many times people forget about the time to laugh yeah. and they just don't make the time for it. Or they feel that it's socially unacceptable or they feel it's not appropriate or they've been socialized that, you know, it's not professional enough. And, and so, you know, we're, we're that's, trying to do all that. That's so sad that it's not acceptable. I think it's always a good time to laugh, even though... <laughs> A lot of times I just laugh to myself because it might be not the right time for other people. <laughs> yeah, I have learned as I but, get older, you but, know, they, you a little know, bit of discernment there. Who, uh, who was it that said that tragedy plus time equals comedy? Was that uh, – A bunch of people said that, but it looks okay. like you know, Steve Allen was one of the first. So, um, yeah, other people's time takes a lot longer. Mine's much shorter. <laughs> so. <laughs> Much well, that's a good practice, you know, to ask yourself if you've ever found yourself saying, you know, someday I'm going to laugh about this. Do you really need to wait that long? Is there any way that you could let go of some of that attachment? It's like, oh, no, I have to be pissed off about this. Really? Really? Can you maybe let this go and see a little bit of humor in it? Yeah, life's too short. So what are some, you know, because we're wrapping up, you know, getting close to time here. If um, people are listening and they're like, you know, hey, I want like a couple easy ways to add more humor in my life. What would you recommend to them? Um, the three things that come top of mind. One is um, don't, don't necessarily try to be funny, see funny. And just ask yourself the question, what am I missing? You know, what's, what's funny about this? Because so many times people will push back and they'll go, oh, but you don't understand. There's nothing funny happening in my life. And it's like, you know what? If that's your mantra, that's your truth. That's what you're going to be experiencing. But I find, I find stuff everywhere. And I mean, all the, if you could look at my phone, I just, I entertain myself all the time. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. That's funny. And other people would look at this and go, eh, it's like you, you, the more you do it, the more you're going to see, the more you're going to hear, um, I, I overheard somebody asking a hotel clerk here in San Diego. They wanted to know which beach is closest to the water. Really? Come on. Yeah, are you kidding me? I mean, there's funny stuff happening all the time, but we just miss it. So just raise your awareness. Um, manipulate your environment to increase the likelihood. Um, I love people making um, accountability to a pal. So have a humor pal, a humor buddy that you agree that you would send something to every day. Like, you know, like your jokes, Chip, or, or memes, or, I mean, I, I even just text, you know, a, a few words that I think would be funny or something like, you know, today's phrase. I love this. Try this. Um, today's phrase was gullible said slowly sounds like oranges. Whew, that see, went right over my that's, head. That's funny because everybody's going, gullible. 
Okay. So see, I think it's funny. But I, some of these we do just for me. But I send that to my pal, and you know, she writes back, and she's like, ah, uh, you know. And then the third would be if if this intrigues you at all, and if you're listening to this, I'm hoping it does. Become a student of humor. You know, start start looking for other resources. There's there's books, there's articles, there's podcasts, there's tapes, there's conferences, there's you know all sorts of stuff out there. And I think that if you would immerse yourself just a little bit, put your toe in, and just see how incredibly powerful this is, you'd become as, as obsessed as me. And I am as obsessed as you. Um, yeah here and there on different things. I know you are. I, I, I know you send me stuff that I, like, I know I can only share this with you, Chip, because we've, I know. <laughs> we've got the same warped sense of humor. Um, and, sick humor. You're my sick humor, buddy. And I, appre <laughs> well, and I appreciate that. It's like, oh, I've got a secret. I've got a secret humor pal. <laughs> she can only share, she can only share this with me because I'm warped. That's right. Um, well, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. I, I like any time I get to spend with you, but you know, especially when we get to talk about a subject that is so near and dear to both of our hearts. If, if after today people want to find out more about you, where do they go? Oh man. Um, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn, YouTube. Um, but best place probably is just website. Karen with the Y. My mother was very unique in that. She said, you can change it when you get to be an adult if you hate it. But now I love it. Karen Buxman and KarenBuxman.com. Come find me. That's really funny that you know, with the Y, because I did the same thing to my daughter, Abigail, that, you know, instead of with an A-I-L, -A I, spell, I spelled it A-Y-L-E. And she's like, why did you do that? I can never find a coffee cup with my name on it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Thing. Pencils, you know, little bike license plates. And I used to bitch when I was a little, but now it's like, ooh, now I'm special. You're special. You're one of a kind. Well, I would encourage everybody to uh, go to Karen's uh, website, check her out. She's got a lot of great stuff on there. You can see some of her uh, videos of her in action. She is one of the best speakers I know. Um, I've got a short attention span. Not many people can keep my attention for a full hour, but Karen can keep my attention a full hour. Plus, I ah, love you, baby. Plus, um, so and if you're interested in becoming like Sarah, uh, Karen suggested, a uh, student of humor, you know, check out ath. That's ath.org. Ath. That's ass with a lisp. Dot org. <laughs> uh, think about coming to our conference. You know, you mean to get meet uh, really cool people like Karen and uh, other cool people that we'll be interviewing on this podcast. Again, I am Chip Lutz, Unconventional Leader. You can find me at unconventionalleader.com. This has been Laughbox. Thanks again, Karen. You bet. <laughs> it's been awesome. This is Laughbox, <laughs> the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laughbox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review Laughbox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.